All right, once again, good evening. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 6? If you're new with us, welcome tonight. It's good to see you, all of you, everybody. Um, but so far in our study in the book of Revelation, we have moved into chapter 6, which, running into chapter 19, records the tribulation period judgments coming upon planet Earth. Remember, ever since the days of Noah and the flood, there has not been a worldwide judgment from God. This judgment is broken down into a series of three successive groups of judgments. The seal, the trumpet, and the bowl judgments. Now, as we entered into chapter 6, we saw how Jesus now has taken the scroll and he's begun to break the seals on the scroll, and as he does, various judgments are unleashed upon the inhabitants of the earth. The first four seals cover the period Jesus described in Matthew 24, verse 8, what he called the beginning of birth pangs. As terrible as those four judgments are, they are only the beginning of sorrows, as Jesus said, the beginning of of birth pangs for the people of the earth. The beginning of God's wrath is the idea. The three final seal judgments will be much, much worse. Just as a woman's birth pains, pains increase in frequency and intensity, the closer the birth of the child gets, so too will the judgments depicted by the seals intensify throughout the tribulation period become more intense and become more frequent as we progress through the tribulation period the second half i'm thinking of until they culminate in the coming of the lord jesus christ to the planet earth and the kingdom the messianic kingdom is birthed and guys that's why i'm so thankful and excited about the promises god made to his church remember in revelation 3 verse 10 he said to the church of philadelphia which i believe represents the evangelical church he said, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will keep you or I will deliver you out of the time of tribulation coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Then we see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the rapture occurs. Chapter 5, verse 9, the redeemed are around the throne of God singing his praises. Remember in 2 Peter 2, verse 9, God promised his church that he would not punish the righteous with the wicked. The tribulation period is God punishing the righteous, excuse me, is God punishing the wicked after having delivered the righteous. Now, of course, he's going to be saving people, but there are those who are the earth dwellers. They are militant unbelievers who will never give their hearts to Christ. They'll, they'll be given an opportunity, but uh, they won't come to Christ. We'll see this as we go but um again first thessalonians 5 9 says god did not appoint us the church of jesus christ to wrath but to attain salvation through our lord jesus christ and uh, in that context the salvation i don't believe is salvation from hell it's to save us out of the coming tribulation or wrath of god that's why he couples it god did not appoint us to wrath but he has promised to save us out of uh you know what is coming upon the earth so very simply guys as we have said the rapture is jesus evacuating his church his bride off the earth before 
God's judgments are poured out. And after the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and God, uh, John gives us a, a, a vision of uh, heaven, he's seeing it and he's relating it to us. We're kind of standing with him and, uh, and also enjoying what he's seeing. But after the rapture in verse 1 of chapter 4, and uh, all that John sees, the rest of chapter 4 into chapter 5, starting in chapter 6, Jesus now steps forward as a lamb who had been slain up to the Father's throne, takes the scroll, the title deed of the earth, out of the Father's right hand. And when he starts to break the seals on the scroll, it's a scroll sealed with seven seals written on the front and back, God's wrath, as we have said, is poured out on the inhabitants of the earth. And as we have also been saying, this judgment will cleanse the earth from the earth dwellers. Again, defiant rebels against God. He's going to use these judgments to cleanse the earth of these rebels who will not bow the knee to Christ, who will not submit their lives uh, to serve God for his glory. No, they are defiant in their rebellion. And uh, so Jesus Christ is going to judge them in preparation for him, coming back to take possession of what he has bought and paid for at Calvary's cross and uh, establishing his kingdom. So let's uh, start with verse 1 again, just to get a running start of today's study. Revelation 6, verse 1, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, this will be the number one seal, the first seal, And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Now that brings us to the fifth seal where we pick it up for tonight's study. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. Now, many have asked, who are these people? And I think it's pretty obvious they are tribulation saints. They are people who were brought to Christ during the tribulation period, but martyred for their faith during the period of the first five seals. Now remember, 
The first four covers the first three and a half years. The fifth seal straddles the first half of the tribulation into the second half. The judgments get are ramping up, but also the persecution of God's people by the Antichrist and his followers. We have to understand that. By the time we move past the midpoint, and what happens at the midpoint, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 15, the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and demands to be worshipped as God. At that point, the devil enters into him and takes literal possession of this man, and he becomes a bloodthirsty tyrant. The mark that was somewhat voluntary in the beginning now comes absolutely mandatory. Those who do not take it will be killed because to not take it says, you don't have loyalty for the Antichrist who has now declared himself to be a god. And so you're going to see the judgment now really begin to escalate as we move into the second half of the tribulation uh, period where the pe uh, persecution by the Antichrist against the people of God shifts into high gear, this corresponds with what Jesus said. Remember how we compared uh, Matthew 24 with Revelation 6. This corresponds to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 9, when he said, They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, the question is, um, how were all these people brought to Christ during the first half of the tribulation period if the church was raptured off of the earth before the tribulation period began? Who witnessed to them? Well, let me just say this. The obvious answer is the two witnesses, but let me just stop and say this, okay? We all have people we've witnessed to, all right? Maybe family members. We've all got people in our lives that we have shared the gospel with. We've t we're an end times church. We believe in the end times. We teach the end times. And so you guys have gone out with the message of, you know, what's coming. And let's be honest, there are those people that think you're nuts and walk away. Some people get saved and other people, ready, say, well, I think I'll just wait and see. Maybe you're right, maybe you're not. I'm going to wait and see. When the rapture happens... These folks are going to storm churches, busting down the doors. They get Bibles and books. And I, when I taught this in 07, I said cassette tapes. Well, you know, uh, we don't even have any CDs. It's all online now. I don't know. So, uh, but they're going to want, they, they are now believers in the rapture. I'm not saying they're saved yet. But they're going to want to get all the information they can to find out how they also can be saved. Now, God never leaves himself without a witness. When the rapture happens, every redeemed, every saved person on the planet is gone, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, right? So what does God do right at the very beginning of the tribulation period, right at the beginning? God sends two witnesses that are going to be uh, sharing the gospel with the people of this world. We know at least 144,000 Jewish uh, uh, people are converted and become, I believe, Paul the Apostles. They're going to go out and have a, quite a ministry. Uh, mil millions are going to get saved. And as people keep sharing the gospel after they've gotten saved, you're going to have uh, so many people saved, it's, it's going to be hard to count. 
uh, how many people. Of course, the Antichrist is going to be picking them off like crazy. But um, we'll talk more about this when we get to Revelation 11, who, who I think those two witnesses are, and so on, okay? But um, just so you understand, that's how people are going to get saved. And notice in verse 9, these folks that are, are in heaven, uh, they're called souls, souls. And yet they are fully conscious, which means the doctrine of soul sleep is incorrect. Uh, the doctrine of soul sleep teaches that when a person dies, their soul goes to sleep uh, and is not awakened until the rapture um, and so on. But um, that is uh, incorrect. That is incorrect. The Bible never talks about the soul in terms of sleep. It talks about the human body when it dies as a Christian now, uh, that it is buried and in, 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 in sleeps. It's not really sleeping it's dead but it's sleeping because in a sense it's going to be awa awakened uh, at the rapture resurrected okay but when a believer in christ dies their body sleeps in the grave but their soul goes into the presence of the lord in heaven uh, we know that because paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord right now the souls of unbelievers go into hades until the great white throne judgment we'll study that in chapter uh, 20 but um, when a believer dies their body goes is buried and it goes back to the dust of the earth their soul goes immediately to be with the lord and we we all know of course first corinthians 15 verses 51 and 52 paul said behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we all shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of, twinkling of an eye the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, and the dead, uh, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So we're not going to all die, is what Paul. We're not all going to sleep. Not all Christians are going to die. There is a generation of believers that will be alive when the rapture happens, and so we won't ever taste physical death if we're alive when the rapture happens. We'll be caught up, and as we are taken to meet the Lord in the air, and it's just a microsecond. Uh, on the way up, we will be transformed. This mortal will put on immortality. I will receive my glorified body, which will never get sick, grow tired, hungry, and never die again, of course. Um, but but that's, that, that's what will happen when... And, of course, those who have died as Christians before us, and are in, the bodies are in the grave, they shall be resurrected, uh, I don't know, again, a microsecond before... Uh, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and they will, uh, and, and of course, their body res be resurrected will be glorified and be reunited with their soul and spirit, which have been in the Lord's presence since they died. Now, of course, as we read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 2, this, of course, speaks of the resurrection of church saints uh, or those who have come to saving faith in Christ during the church age, which is from Pentecost, Acts 2 to the rapture whenever that is the question is what happens to christians who died during the tribulation period well again their physical bodies are buried and go back to the dust of the earth but like any christian who dies their souls go immediately into the presence of the lord in heaven we see that here in revelation 6 okay and again paul said in second corinthians 5 verse 8 to be absent from the body and physical death is to be present with the lord as a believer in christ okay 
But notice that these redeemed people in heaven, again, Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11, don't yet have their glorified resurrection bodies. They're souls. But there's not a, a, a glorified body that that soul inhabits, right? So you ask, well, when are the tribulation saints resurrected bodily? When do they get their glorified bodies? Well, those believers that were martyred for their faith during the tribulation period Listen, we'll be raised up by Jesus uh, when he returns to the earth at his second coming and they will be resurrected and they will then enter into the millennial kingdom. And I believe at that time when Jesus returns, two groups of people will be resurrected. We've already been resurrected. We're already in heaven as the church, right? We come back with the Lord, Revelation 19, right? So who is left in the grave? Well, of course, uh, the souls of Moses and David and and Jeremiah, they're with the Lord. They have been ever since Jesus went into Hades after he died on the cross and unlocked the prison because they couldn't go to heaven. Uh, he hadn't died for their sins yet. So they were in a paradise in the center of the earth called Abraham's bosom, right? Uh, Luke 16. So before Jesus ascended, Paul tells us in, uh, in Ephesians 4, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth uh, set the captives free, and led everyone, all the Old Testament saints, their souls into heaven. Now, in this side of the cross, in the New Covenant, um, we don't go into Abraham's bosom. That's empty today. Because again, when you die as a Christian, your soul immediately goes to meet the Lord in, in heaven. Your body is buried, okay? Um, but, the, but I believe two groups of people are going to be, their bodies will be resurrected when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. All right. Now, these tribulation saints, because that's what we're talking about, uh, what happens to them? Well, the Lord comes, he resurrects their bodies, gives them a glorified body, and they reign with him on the earth during the millennial kingdom. Turn to Revelation 20. And let's look at verse 4. John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Now these are those who were martyred during the tribulation period by the Antichrist and his followers. These were believers. So I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they reign with the Lord along with the church. And Old Testament saints, we, we reign with the Lord on the earth. Of course, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns uh, physically from Jerusalem over the whole earth, but he's got, um, he's got regents, I guess. I don't know what the term would be. Uh, I hate to call us kings. But we are a kingdom of priests, kings and priests, right? In the sense that we will reign uh, over different areas of the earth. And, uh, of course, we will report to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings, as I just said. All right? Now, verse 10. Revelation 6, verse 10. These uh, souls that uh, are in heaven... Uh, they ask at one point, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, guys, commentators have pointed out 
that these believers who are martyred for their faith in Jesus are not praying, are not praying the way he taught us to pray in the new covenant, the way he prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, don't lay this sin to their account, right? We don't see these people in heaven praying like that, right? Uh, I would Again, the way Jesus taught his church to pray when he was on the earth, right? We don't see them say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or, Father, don't lay this sin, the sin of killing us, to their account. Instead, they're saying, Lord, how long till you get them? How long do you wipe them out, Lord? How long before you judge them? And, and that's because, guys, the age of grace, the church age, has come to an end. It ended with the rapture. And now we are in a different period. I hate to use the word dispensation because that's misunderstood a lot. But we're in a different uh, time, a different, um, okay, dispensation, I guess. Uh, we are now, in this point in Revelation, in the period, the tribulation period, also called the day of God's wrath. In other words, this indicates that these are different believers from uh, different believers than those who live at the present time. We are in the church age, will be until the rapture. Um, but these are not church saints, they're tribulation saints. Now, I, I'm only teaching you this so you have an understanding. I'm not I'm not trying to say that these are uh, these are different believers in the sense that they don't they don't inherit what we inherit. Like there's Old Testament saints, they were different from New Testament Christians. And then you have tribulation saints. We all wind up in heaven. We all rejoice around the throne of God, but there are different ways God deals with each of these groups. We just need to understand that, right? But uh, again, th these folks say, you know, how long before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And once again, the term earth dwellers, sometimes referred to as those that dwell in the earth, used 10 times in the book of Revelation. And again, always relates to, yes, unbelievers, but these would be militant unbelievers. There's a lot of people who aren't militant uh, on the earth right now when it comes to Jesus Christ. Uh, they may not believe, but maybe nobody's ever explained the gospel to them. Or uh, it could be that um, they're just not ready to make a commitment, but they do believe. I think a lot of people have grown up in churches, and it's not that they don't believe in Jesus Christ or that, that you know that they don't want to go to heaven someday, but the mentality is, well, I've got time. Oh, be careful. The devil uses that all the time on people, especially church people, you know, who know Jesus is the only way to heaven, uh, who do believe in him. With their heads, I'm saying. But they haven't made a hard commitment. and um, But they intend to someday. Um, I got time. We, we None of us ever thinks we're going to die today. We always have time, right? And I believe that there's going to be a lot of people in hell. And one of the things that is going to torture them is that they did believe, but they never made a commitment to Christ. And uh, that's a, a horrible thing to think about. That I didn't have to be here. I knew the truth. I went to Awanas, or I went to Sunday school, or I was told the gospel. I believed the gospel. 
but I just never was ready to make that commitment. I intended to, but I was too late. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Don't try to put off till tomorrow what you must do today because you may not get tomorrow. Tomorrow was not promised to anyone. But these earth dwellers are militant unbelievers. They are all in for the Antichrist when he comes, okay? And uh, they're going to be his, um, his uh, um, lieutenants, if I can put it that way, who will do his bidding and go out uh, under his uh, command to wipe out anyone who doesn't bow to him, to the Antichrist. Well, the sixth seal, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. Now, guys, this could coincide with what Amos prophesied. I'll read it to you, Amos chapter 8, verse 9. Where the prophet said, it shall come, God speaking, I'm sorry, through Amos. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. That's the language of judgment. You know, I just don't imagine when God's pouring his judgment out upon the earth, his sunshine, the birds are chirping. I just don't <laughs> see that in my mind's eye. I think God's going to set the stage. It's going to be dark and foreboding and, and depressing. And it's going to be a horrible time. And God says, you know, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Well, of course, that's talking about, you know, light in the sense of, of goodness and God's word. Uh, darkness, uh, moral evil and spiritual deception. They love this, the devil's lies more than God's truth, we would say, right? Um, so God gives them darkness, right? In other words, they spend eternity in hell because they don't want God's truth. They don't love the light. They run from it. But there's something to be said about physical light, God using it uh, to kind of communicate spiritual truths too. And so I just see that this is going to be, uh, this judgment is going to be a, a judgment of God. So I'm going to put the lights out. I'm going to cause the sun to go dark at noon. Um, you know, I will darken the earth in broad daylight because it's a sign that judgment now is coming. Verse 12, guys, lists the first of three mighty earthquakes that the book of Revelation records. The others are mentioned, first of all, in Revelation 11, verse 13, which says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. But the big one is in Revelation 16. You can turn there. Revelation 16. And let's just read verses 18 and 20. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Verse 20. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Guys, this final earthquake will be so powerful that it will split the earth wide open. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 24, verses 19 and 20. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. 
The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall totter like a hut. Its transgressions shall be heavy upon it. We're talking about judgment now, which is what God is saying. And it will fall and not rise again. Now remember that even as the plagues that were poured out upon the Egyptians were really poured out upon each of their gods, there's also going to be God's judgments are going to be poured out upon what people worship on the earth. And one of the things will be the earth itself. The earth itself, okay? We'll talk about that more in a second. But Revelation 6, verse 13, John says, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Uh, I don't believe this is referring to literal stars, okay? I'm not sure how you can get literal stars falling on the earth, okay? Um, the Greek is, the word uh, is uh, aster, aster, and it's a word that uh, simply means a shining heavenly body, a shining heavenly body. I believe these are meteorites falling from space and burning upon entering Earth's atmosphere, of course, then become shining, uh, giving off light, okay? Uh, it could be at this point the Earth passes through the tail of a great comet. Now, uh, if it is a comet and the comet was big enough and it came close enough to the Earth, its gravitational force could trigger massive earthquakes. Or John might have seen a group of asteroids, which are much bigger than meteorites, okay? In fact, in a little research I did today, uh, meteorites often come from asteroids. They break off as small uh, pieces of, uh, of stone and different substances, right? But asteroids are uh, much bigger, much bigger sometimes. Uh, so John may, may be seeing uh, a group of asteroids striking the Earth that, again, looked like stars, as they entered our atmosphere and began to burn up. That's interesting because in chapter 8, verse 8, he says, I saw something like a great mountain burning with fire that fell from the heavens and landed in the ocean and destroyed a third of the ships and a third of all life in the ocean. So something big hits the earth. And I believe it is a, a, a very large asteroid. But, but think about this, guys. You know, some people say, why didn't God, John just say asteroid? Well, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and why didn't he talk, talk about the Hubble telescope while he was at it? You know, that kind of thing, okay? Uh, look, this is the best description a first century guy like John could use to describe what he is seeing. Stars falling from heaven to the earth. How would you describe it if you were a first century guy and you saw all the, looked like these shining objects just, flooding into the, to the earth and falling on the earth. You, you probably call them stars as well. Now, if John is seeing asteroids, guys, and they were big enough, they could affect the rotation of the earth and even affect the very tilt of the earth. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. Again, an asteroid is a lot bigger than a meteorite. And if it uh, did um, get close enough to the Earth, and this has happened before, we've had meteors hit the Earth. You know, the, what is that crater in Arizona? Uh, right? It's there, right? Forgot the name of it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I should have got that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
What is it? Okay, Sunset Crater. Okay. Um, but if it is an asteroid and it's big enough uh, and it came close enough to the Earth, it could affect the Earth's rotation, even its tilt. Uh, it's tilted, I think, 23 and a half degrees on its axis. It could affect that. Um, does this mean that um, the brightness... Oh, I'm sorry, Revelation 8, verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, listen, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now, does this mean that the brightness of the sun, moon, and stars is reduced by a third? A lot of people believe that's what's in view here, all right? Um, but that it's only going to be temporary, because they point to Revelation 16, verses 8 and 9, that at one point the sun kind of goes into a supernova thing and begins to burn uh, people on the earth and so on. We'll see that when we get there. But um, others like myself, and of course I could be wrong, but others like myself believe that these cataclysmic judgments change the Earth's rotation uh, or tilt in some way so that a 24, typical 24-hour day could be reduced to 16 hours. Could be reduced to 16 hours. Now, that's interesting because Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 22, unless those days were shortened, talking about the tribulation period, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, listen, in saying this, Jesus wasn't referring to the number of days being shortened of the tribulation period. Um, the number of days primarily that will take place during the great tribulation, which is the second half of the tribulation period, like a woman who enters into hard labor, at one point, that's what the earth's going to enter into after the midpoint. Uh, you're going to go from tribulation to great tribulation, all right? But the Bible is very clear that those last three and a half years of the great tribulation, that um, the number is fixed at 1260 days. That comes out of Revelation 12, verse 6. So people say, well, Jesus is just going to shorten the number of days in the second half of the tribulation period. No, because the Bible is very clear. From the time the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies until Jesus returns will be 1260 days. That can't be shortened. So what is Jesus talking about? I believe he's not talking about the number of days being shortened, but the length of each individual day that it will be shortened. Again, from, from 24 hours to 16 hours. Revelation 6, verse 14. Then the, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Whatever these judgments are that are coming, they are going to be the worst this planet has ever seen. Now let me give you a little uh, frame of reference to put that in perspective. When Mount St. Helens exploded on May 18, 1980, the power of the explosion, listen, was equivalent to a 50-megaton warhead. A 50-megaton warhead. A 1-megaton explosion is 50 times more powerful 
than the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Think about that for a minute, okay? Talking about this Mount St. Helens explosion. One of our Calvary pastors lived in the area at that time. And he said that for days the sun was blackened out by falling ash and the moon at night looked like blood. So we can see God's already done some of this where you can see how that God can bring cataclysmic judgments upon using nature and how the language then becomes very similar to what we're reading in Revelation of these future judgments, which will be much worse, right? I mean, this could be a natural phenomenon, as we're talking about, which God uses to judge man, or it could be describing the aftermath of a nuclear exchange that leads to some kind of nuclear winter. But we often think of nuclear explosions as being the most powerful, the most devastating, and they're pretty powerful depending on uh, you know, the, uh, the size of the, of the warhead and all, the payload. But as I just showed you, uh, things that happen in nature, God can be pretty powerful, right? I'll give you another example. In August of 1883, when Krakatoa, the volcanic island in the Pacific, exploded, <laughs> the explosion was so... F- so powerful it was heard 3,000 miles away. It changed tides 7,000 miles away in both directions, which is more than halfway around the world. It sent tidal waves for 1,500 miles in every direction and changed the weather on the earth for two years. Now, that's just one volcanic eruption. I mean, it sounds like what God's going to do uh, during the tribulation period, as he begins to ramp up the judgments, I, I think what he's saying, t- telling us in Revelation is that um, what we've seen so far is going to look like a firecracker a cracker compared to what's coming. Aren't you glad you're not going to be here? Amen. Revelation 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves. Now we come to a place where money is not an object anymore. There's finally equality on the earth. You know? I mean, isn't that a big deal today? Not, it's not even equality, it's equity. I'll let you wrestle with those two terms. They're not the same, by the way. Okay? But here, the world achieves quality. Not that equality, not that they wanted it this way, but God, you know, somebody said death is the great equalizer. You could be a pauper, a prince, uh, a president, uh, or a lowly janitor. We're all going to die. And here we see as God begins to pour his judgments out and they ramp up, uh, well, everybody is equal in the sense that they're all bearing the brunt of these judgments. So, you know, the kings of the earth, the great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
Where are the redeemed at this point? The church? Where are we? We're in heaven, right? We are around the throne of God and we are praising the Lord, the Creator. And in contrast, the earth dwellers are on the earth and they're praying to the earth, their God, to crush and kill them. I don't know if you caught this. I didn't watch the Golden Globes, but I saw it in the news services that I, I, I read. A few days ago, actor Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo? Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> a few days, this character received a Golden Globe Award. In his acceptance speech, he urged everyone watching to, and I'm quoting him, to take care of Mother Earth. He said, and I'm quoting him, we have a dying mother. She is Mother Earth. And we must come to balance with her and honor her, and she will heal. The good news is inclusion and justice, whatever that means, and care for Mother Earth is breaking out everywhere. Yeah, it's called Gaia worship. You know, whether you're a, a radical environmentalist who may not have a spiritual angle on it, you still worship the earth in your own way. Then you have those who approach it from a spiritual vantage point, and they are worshiping the Mother Earth, the Earth Goddess Gaia. Sometimes she's called Gaia, all right? But, but the people have deified the earth. They have made the earth an object of worship. They think the earth is a living entity, a, a being, and, and so on. We'll, we'll talk more about that as time goes on. But here, here's the thing I wanted to point to. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the people of earth because, and this is not the only reason, but one of the reasons, because they refuse to give God glory and choose rather to worship and serve the creation instead of the creator. The ultimate folly. The creation was designed by God to point us to him. The, the creation declares the glory of God, right? As you look into the creation, you may not know who this God is, what his name is, how, what he's like, but, but it testifies that there is a, a God who made everything. Uh, Paul said in Romans 1, it's such, a, um, uh, it's such a clear revelation of God's existence that anybody who looks into the creation and dismisses the idea of God out of hand uh, is an atheist, God will hold them personally accountable for their self-imposed ignorance on the day of judgment. He has made it. You ever wonder why in, in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1, um, which starts out this way in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and goes on from there about the, the six days of creation, right? Do you ever wonder why God didn't start off the Bible by saying, now let me tell you who I am. Just so you know, here's my name. Here's how you can tell that I exist and I'm real. He didn't do that, did he? Why not? Because some truths are self-evident. You can't have a podium without some kind of a builder. You can't have a building without an architect and construction guys. Can't have a painting without a painter, a sculpture without a, 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 a sculpture without a sculptor. There, there has to. As, as um, 
Norm Geisler said in a series that I listened to, uh, he said, you know, every, um, every effect had to have a cause. Every effect had, you folks are an effect. Well, what caused you? Well, depends who you talk to. A lot of scientists think you're just a big cosmic accident uh, that came out of a big explosion 18 billion years ago, you know, and, and, and you climbed out of the mortal uh, ooze, you know, from, from goo to you. That's the basic uh, premise. It sounds ridiculous, but let's water it down to its basic form. Uh, the evolutionist believes uh, that everything came from nothing all by itself. The theists, those who believe in God, believe what the Bible says in the beginning, God created. Those are your two models. The evolutionary model, the creation model. Which one best fit? No, you can't prove one either one with 100% certainty. But which one has the most evidence to back it up? I think it's pretty obvious. The creation, for an honest person, it's the creation model. That God made everything. But man turns his back on the creator and, and commits the ultimate folly and worships the creation. Um, wow. And then thinks himself very smart and intelligent. How do they think about you folks? Oh, you're just dumb Bible thumpers. I believe everything came from nothing all by itself. That's the intellectual position. Really? I see. Yeah. Yeah, you're brilliant. So anyways, Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let me back up to verse 16 again, all right? Uh, and said to the mountains, all these folks now who said, you know, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. Who is and who is able to stand? Now, guys, this verse is one of the proof texts that those who hold to a pre-wrath rapture eschatology point to as proof that the wrath of God doesn't start until sometime after the second half of the tribulation period begins. And they use this verse, these two verses, uh, to support that belief, okay? that they believe that God's wrath doesn't start until sometime after the midpoint as we enter into the second half. That's when his wrath is poured out. And, and this is what they believe. It doesn't happen until the second half of the tribulation period. They maintain that the wrath of God doesn't begin with the breaking of the first seal. All right? It's important that they make this claim because they believe the rapture of the church will happen just before the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. And they believe it's sometime after the midpoint. That's when the wrath gets poured out, so that's when the rapture is going to happen. That's why it's called the pre-wrath rapture view. But they have the... See, we believe as pre-tribulationists, those that believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation period begins, we also believe the rapture will take place before God's wrath is poured out. We just have a different idea about when that wrath is poured out. That's, that's, the, that's the difference, right? We do believe the church is going to be raptured before God's wrath or His judgment begins, but we believe it will begin with the coming of the Antichrist onto the world scene. 
who himself will be the first judgment of God, first judgment of God's wrath upon the earth, upon this Christ-rejecting world during the tribulation period. Here's the problem with the pre-wrath interpretation of this scripture. In the Greek, verse 17 doesn't say, the great day of his wrath has come, in as in is about to start. It says, for the great day of his wrath, listen, has already come. Or in other words, it has already begun, and I believe it began with the breaking of the first seal. Let me explain to you what I believe is going on, and then we'll have to close uh, for tonight, but quickly. What is going on here? Um, it's not that God's wrath is about to start. It's been going on for roughly four years at this point. We're past the midpoint now, okay? It's just that the people of the earth, the earth dwellers, have refused to believe have refused to believe it's God's judgment, if they even believe in God at all at this point, okay? Rather, they have been chalking it up all this time to natural disasters, probably caused by global warming. Maybe some folks are going to ride that horse all the way to hell, okay? But, but, but God's judgment has been, been poured out for four years. But they have, the Antichrist and his followers have kept denying it, um, that it's, you know, chalking it up to natural disasters and not uh, to supernatural punishments from God upon their wicked lives. You can see how people want to hold on to their wickedness, right? And they will, they, it's amazing how people can justify and explain away and excuse all kinds of stuff when it means that they can still hold on to their sin, okay? Remember, and we just talked about this, remember that the two witnesses have been preaching to the people, the earth dwellers, since the beginning of the tribulation period, that God's wrath, that they were experiencing God's wrath. Uh, ever since the tribulation, Rapture happens, Antichrist shows up, the two witnesses come. Right away, God sends them. And they have been preaching nonstop that what they're seeing is not natural disasters. It's the judgment of God poured out upon the wicked. Now repent while you still have time. Of course, the world hates that message. And they try to kill these two guys any way they can, but they can't because God won't let them kill them until a certain thing happens. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get to chapter 11. So hang in there. But the two witnesses have been preaching to the earth dwellers ever since the beginning of the tribulation period that what is going on is God's wrath. These are not natural disasters. It's God's wrath. But the Antichrist and his followers have been explaining these judgments away. But now, guys, as the world enters the second half of the tribulation period and the judgments of God start really ramping up, they can no longer explain away what is happening, happening as natural phenomena. You say, well, does that mean they're going to start repenting? Think again. Think again, okay? Uh, we'll see how their rebellion doesn't de-escalate to the point of repentance and salvation. It just escalates all the more, and they become more and more, no matter how heavy the judgment and, and the judgment gets pretty horrific. Um, 
they harden their hearts all the more. That's why I say they are militant atheists. So a lot of folks that don't believe, they may even call themselves atheists, um, but they're not completely closed. There, there is something, there's an atheist, which means an unbeliever, uh, theist, in Greek you put an A in front of it, it negates it. So theist, somebody who believes in God, atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God. That's different. You might know atheists in your work, or and, you, know, you can talk to them, and they know you're a Christian. They don't go berserk because you walk in with a Bible. You know, Then you have what's called anti-theists. These are the militant atheists, and they go for the jugular. Uh, they don't want to disagree with you. If they had their way, they would destroy you. They think you're a cancer uh, in the land. In the on the body of Mother Earth, <laughs> and if they had their way right now, they would destroy us. They're going to have their way during the tribulation period. All right, we'll talk more about this. Got to end. Sorry. Uh, pick it up next week, God willing. Uh, we're not done with chapter six, but we will finish and move into chapter seven next time. So let's pray, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. Your word is truth. Thank you, Lord, that um, even though you have told us what's coming, you have promised your church we won't be around to see it personally. And we look for that moment when in a twinkling of an eye, the trumpet will sound, the angel will shout, and we will hear your voice saying, come up here. And we will meet you in the air in the clouds and we will never, ever take our eyes off of you ever again as we live with you for eternity in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord. And as the world gets more and more corrupt, more and more wicked, we long for the day when our Savior comes and, and, and brings a kingdom of righteousness and lawfulness to the earth. We just thank you, Lord. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.